Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is steering and fishing. And hope you'll find out what that's about. Uh, the, we're talking about John 21, which is another sort of post-Easter story. And that story you probably are familiar with where they go fishing and they fish all night and they don't catch anything. And then they see someone standing on the shore and he says, fish on the other side of the boat, fish on the right side of the boat, and then all of a sudden they can't um, contain all the fish. Well, a friend of mine named Ken is a boating enthusiast and a boat owner, and he talked to Pastor Nathan out in Tucson, and Pastor Nathan preached on this, and my father heard that preaching, and he called me, and he said, hey, guess what? There's some new light on this, this story here, so I wanted to share that with you. I think we did an episode on the Breakfast by the Sea a few years ago, uh, but I wanted to revisit it with this just in. New, new information from ancient Galilee. Um, uh, and it has to do with the right and the left side, how it's not just as simple. Yeah, I always sort of thought it's kind of arbitrary. You know, okay, just uh, the other side, of the, okay, whatever. Um, actually, at that time, to the best of my understanding, no one ever, ever fished on the right side of the boat. It was the completely wrong thing to do because that's where your steering mechanism was. You could only fish on the left side. You could only steer on the right side. That's how it is. So what the Lord was saying was take your steering mechanism off, stick it on the other side of the boat, fish on the wrong side, steer on the wrong side, and then you'll be successful. So that's what we'll be looking at tonight. And would you join me for an opening prayer? (laughs) Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth, the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight as we open the pages of your Word, seeking to understand you, how it is that we should be living our lives. Amen. Amen. Great to see all you, sending out love to those who are online and on the phone, getting the audio and all you wonderful people who are here in the room. Very nice to see you. And... uh, Let's go looking at this. Uh, let's start with the story, and then we'll start talking about uh, more about the light that's come up recently about these ancient boats. Uh, John 21 in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, is where we wish to start. Okay, hold on. And it's interesting the way that this is um, introduced, that it says that this was how the Lord showed himself to the disciples. That's what we hear in that first verse there in John 21. Okay, sorry. I was adjusting the microphone. Yes, that's all right. And you'll remember that at the beginning of the Lord's ministry, uh, certainly in Matthew, one of the first things he does is he calls the disciples and they're fishing. And he says, I'll make you fishers of men. And uh, you'll be fishing people, in other words. And uh, so this is after... What we're about to read in John 21 is after the resurrection and uh, the Lord has appeared to them once, uh, but here's another appearance in the beginning of John 21. Right at the top? Right at the top. Okay. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, 
and two others of his, of his disciples were together. So if I do my math right, I think that's seven disciples are gathered together and try to picture their situation. They really had thought that the Lord was going to become an earthly conqueror, ruler of some kind, overthrow the Romans or something, and then he's killed. And that's like, now what? You know, you had this amazing ministry for three years, and now you wonder, well, what do you do for an encore? So, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And I like the way he says that. He's, he's the lead disciple at this point, but he doesn't say, let's go fishing. He just says, this is what I'm tell you. I'm just going to go back to what I was doing before. You know, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. And the night was supposed to be a good time for fishing, but they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And I want to throw in a point here that it's really been intriguing me lately that um, these people had seen Jesus for, you know, the disciples have been with him for years. They knew him very well in all different kinds of moods and circumstances or whatever, traveling here, traveling there. It fascinates me that uh, the disciples don't recognize the Lord in this story. On the road to Emmaus, those two don't recognize him. Mary Magdalene thinks he's the gardener. She doesn't recognize him. Nobody recognizes the Lord. Did he change? Was his appearance so different? It's just interesting to me that they don't seem to recognize him. And so he's standing on the shore, but they don't recognize him. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, no. Yes, and there might have been a little uh, anguish. <laughs> it's an embarrassing question because, you know, what they might be tempted to say is, we've been working on it all night. Uh, but the truth is, the answer is no. And, and, and I love the way the Lord frames the question. It's just, it's not like, how is the fishing or whatever. It's just, do you have food? And they have to admit, no. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Mm. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Yes, the disciple Jesus loved is uh, John, you know, for whom the gospel is named. And he says to Peter, It's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. Yes, and they would fish quite close to, to land. You know, they would stay pretty close to land, and I hope to explain that in a little bit. And uh, an interesting little fun point here is that he's called Simon Peter, and you know what Simon means? It says Simon Peter heard. His name means hearing. Simon means hearing. So it's kind of fun. Go on. Mm -hmm. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits. 300 feet, okay. Dragging the net with fish. Mm. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And note that the fish and the bread were in the fire. That was all already there. These are not their fish. There's already fish on the fire. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. 
Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Mm. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. And I love this little detail. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? <laughs> Knowing that it was the Lord. Yeah, so they, they knew it was the Lord, but they are still dying to... So you are like, are you really? Is that you? <laughs> you know, but they, no, they don't dare ask. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Mm. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Yes, and so this is a whole story about how the Lord revealed himself to them with this fishing story. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the right side of the boat. You see, uh, many humans, as you may know, are, are right-handed. Not all, but many of them are. And steering is such an important thing that you want to have your strongest arm, your strongest hand available for steering. Even now, isn't it true where you have like an outboard motor on the back of a boat, don't you generally sit there with your right hand to, to steer it back and forth because you need that strength. So it's not that both sides of the boat are equal in an interesting way because the human body is often unequal and stronger on the right side. They put the steering. Now, they didn't have the rudder at the back of the boat. They had it along the right side. That's where they would put it. And they would lash it on and tie it on in, in various ways. And you need a really, you know, they would also lash the mast on. So, I mean, you know, that was lashed on there. I mean, you know, that's, that's not going to go anywhere because tremendous stress is going into that. So you'd get the strongest, most knowledgeable person to operate that uh, rudder, that steering oar. And then, because that was on the right side, you couldn't have the nets on the right side, because the nets would get tangled in the steering oar, the, the nets would get broken, the steering oar could be damaged, or just you can't move it, you can't steer anymore, so you've lost your steering. So you would not fish on the right side of the boat. It was just the wrong. So it would be like someone nowadays, you know, what the Lord asked them would be like someone saying to someone in North America, uh, you know, someone says, I'm going to pick up my child, you know, from school or something like that. And so you say, okay, uh, just put them in the left front seat, you know. Well, I, in that case, I would have to move the steering wheel, the brake, the, you know, like I really have to do a major, buy a car from Europe or something. I have to do a major thing to figure that out because that seat's already towed. That's the driver's seat. So the Lord was asking them to do something that was quite backwards. You would have that right side for steering. The left side would be where you would take all the stuff off. That would be the side that you come along the, the dock, right? or come up on the shore, that's where you'd load and unload on that side because the steering's on the other side. <clears throat> and we see this still today in boating terminology. A starboard means steerboard. It means the side that has the steering board on it, even though the steering board is now in the back. And port means where you carry it. You you know, carry the stuff off the ship. And, and uh, so that's where you load and unload and you ship and all that stuff. So it's kind of built into shipping. Right side for steering, left side for fishing. That's how it works. So it's not just sort of like, oh, just, hey, I've got a little idea here. Just throw your nets on the other side. They had to actually undo, I believe, it doesn't say it in the story there, does it? 
But I think anybody who knew the fishing of that time would know that, oh, they have to untie the steering oar, the rudder, figure out some way to lash it onto the other side of the boat, use their weak arm to steer, do everything backwards. It would be like the first time you go to Europe and are trying to drive a car on the wrong side of the road, you know what I mean? Uh, very disorienting, you know, because you're sort of looking in the wrong direction and you, you, it, it's, it's not easy <clears throat> to do all that. The Sea of Galilee uh, at that time was about four and a half miles wide, and if I remember, it's 13 and a half miles long, something like that. And uh, it's changed shape a little bit over time. And a fact that I didn't know about it, I knew the Dead Sea was way below sea level. I didn't know the Sea of Galilee was also way below sea level. It was 700 feet below sea level. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, I think is 1300 or something. It's even farther down. And so you have this very low basin of water surrounded by mountains, but there are two valleys to the west, and there's the valleys where the, where the Jordan goes through north and south. And so you would get these wicked storms that would come through, and the cold water and the warm air could create a storm where in minutes you've got seven-foot waves. Uh, there's some little factoid that uh, in, in Israel's waters, there's a wreck on average about every 300 feet. Uh, a lot of vessels got destroyed because the weather was so intense and it could come up like a shot. You know, all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, we're in a situation, you know. And so, the, and in that situation, you, you really need to be able to steer and everything. So, <clears throat> let's read a fun other story here. Turn to the right and go to Acts comes up right there, and go to Acts chapter 27. The whole of Acts 27 is a sailor's favorite passage in all of the Bible. The whole thing is about sailing and the fantastic wealth of detail. There's just two things I want to read from this story. It's the story of a shipwreck, uh, and not on the Sea of Galilee. This is out in the Mediterranean. And uh, before they had the shipwreck, uh, let's pick up at... Uh, um, verse 9 here in Acts 27. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul... The fast was over. So there was a period of time where it was sort of safe to sail and then the winter, like, forget it, you know, and different people had different dates of when you'd stop sailing. But the fast was already over, so it's dangerous. Paul advised them, saying... Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. And listen to this. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So you got different powers in play. Paul is saying, this is going to be bad. I'm telling you, this, this, this is going to go very badly. But the helmsman, who's the helmsman? He's the mighty guy who steers, the, you know, he's the guy who steers it, operates that rudder oar. And the owner of the ship, he trusted them more than he trusted Paul. So Paul said, I think we're in trouble. The other two said, I, th I, think, we can, I think we can do this. And so they, they got along fine at first. Uh, and we won't read all of this glorious story. We did cover this at one point. But I wanted to tell you, what, as they're coming up on this wreck, 
here. Uh, let's start at verse 38, well, 37. Let's start there. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. Yeah, these Galilean fishing vessels would be small. You could fit uh, like 12 or 15 people in the maximum kind of thing, and often there would only be four people in there. But this is a much larger uh, vessel for out in the Mediterranean. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Mm. When it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship, if possible. They had been in a storm that had been going on for weeks. Crazy, crazy storm. And listen to this detail in verse 40. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes. Oh! So there were rudder ropes and they untied them. Like this is an extreme, when you untie your rudder ropes, you know, you're at the end of your rope, right? So, uh, and go on. What else did they do? And they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Yes, let's just read a little of the drama here. But striking a place where two seas met, mm. they ran the ship aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. Mm. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Yeah, so the ship was destroyed and they were stranded there for, for some months. And, uh, but they managed to grab broken pieces of the ship and, and made it to land and everybody was okay, despite Paul's earlier misgivings. And um, an angel had come partway through the story here and told them it was going to be okay. The part I was so interested in here was that it actually says that they had the rudder tied on, you know, it was tied on with these ropes. And they, so when you're at that final point of like, you know what I mean? You get to the point where like, it is too late to steer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, this is it. And so they just take, so what do they do? They take up the anchor, anchors, right? They untie the rudder ropes. So they, they're just, forget steering. We're not steering. Uh, but they hoist up the mainsail to the wind and just they're just going to blow right on shore and it just trashes the ship. But they do save their lives. So uh, that was an interesting little detail to me. Uh, turn to the right, if you will, and go to the epistle of James. It's right after Hebrews, about halfway back to the book of Revelation there. And James has an interesting metaphor in chapter 3. <clears throat> About the, uh, about the human tongue, which sometimes gets one in trouble, does it not? Uh, James 3, verse 1. Let's start there. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Also, Able also to bridle the whole body. Yes, right. <laughs> if you manage to get the talking thing down pat, you probably have no problem with your body either. You know, no. you're, you're in control of yourself. Then listen to these metaphors, two metaphors. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Yeah, think of how small that bit is in the horses. It's not large. But that, you can pull this way, pull that way, and then you can shape the whole direction in which the horse is going. Look also at ships. 
Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Yeah. So there's another reference to the rudder, rudder and you can steer this way. It's kind of cool that even though it's sort of like when you're canoeing and, and you paddle, but then you hold the paddle there to sort of straighten out to compensate for the, for the paddle stroke kind of thing. Uh, being able to steer with the curve of the boat, you can pull that rudder in this way and go to the, 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 the this way to port, or you can f flare it out and go around this way to starboard. And um, so, uh, go on, let's, let's read the rest of the analogy there. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. <laughs> See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Yes, and I like this next little quotable quote. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity, <laughs> yes. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. By hell, wow. So hell flowing into your tongue and then you're saying bad things to other people, and so... Luckily, none of us have ever experienced that, but um, nice to know theoretically that that's a possibility. Uh, so that tongue is an interesting analogy that it's like the rudder. It's, it's a fairly small thing, but it can steer a, a whole ship. Now, um, okay, another interesting little fact. Let's go all the way back to Genesis in the beginning of your Bible there. Genesis chapter 6. You remember that Noah built a sailing vessel, didn't he? Let's look at this, 6 verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Okay, that's quite specific. Uh -huh. And this is how you shall make it. Okay. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Okay. Its width, 50 cubits. All right. And its height, 30 cubits. Okay. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. Oh. And set the door of the ark in its side. Okay. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Okay. So this is the description of the ark that he makes. Is there a rudder in there? No. No rudder. Interestingly, Noah's ark had no steering mechanism, whatever. Maybe Paul, at the point of disaster, decided, let's unlash the rudder and just what happens, happens. But Noah's Ark was that way from start to finish. No way to control where this, this large, large boat went. Look in 7, verses 17 and 18. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Mm. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. Right. It's just moving. Nobody's steering it. It's just moving around on the face of the water. Uh, some commentator pointed out that since there was no land visible, there was nothing to aim for anyway. So you didn't need a steering mechanism. It just whatever, it just try to survive. Mm -hmm. And look at 8 verse 4. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Yes, so the waters went down and, oh, 
that just happened to be where it let, you know, no, that was no, not the result of any steering. So I think that's, that's interesting. All right. Um, all right. Uh, let's read one more story, shall we? Let's go to the Gospel of Luke back in the New Testament uh, because there's kind of a parallel to this fishing story, as you may remember, in Luke chapter 5. Let's uh, read this. Verse... And let's start right at the beginning then. Okay. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. Ah. And saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Aha. Uh-huh. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. It's such an amazing image, isn't it? And so this gives you an idea. Swedenborg says that what the boat means is teaching. And what is the Lord doing? He's sitting in a boat teaching people who are on the shore. Go on. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Yes, the, the Sea of Galilee got to about 150 feet deep uh, uh, in the sense, so it was pretty deep. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Ah. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Mm. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Ah, now an interesting difference. It does says nothing about the left or the right. By the way, I just have to interrupt myself to say one of the commentaries, it was really great. In fact, I think two of the commentaries said this that I was reading about these passages. It said, we must really not try to find any symbolical meaning in the left or the right side of the boat. You know, and I love that because it's like everybody wants to know what the meaning of the right and the left is. So they have to say, nothing to see here, people. You know, so... Um, and, and another interesting in thing here is that the net didn't break. Like in the other story, I mean, the other story, the net didn't break. Here it did. It, the net was breaking, right? Mm-hmm. Go on. Uh, I've lost where I am. Verse 7, I think. Verse 7 of chapter 4? Of chapter 5. Okay, sorry. So, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now... Uh, this raises an important point that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is that it really changes all the physics. If you picture it, right, you're in a fairly small boat. The fish weigh something. I mean, it changes the whole, you know, if you got a whole bunch of people in the boat, it would ride lower in the water. That would change the way that it steers and the way it responds and what happens with waves and all, you know. It, and so you get all these fish involved. Here, the ships are actually starting to sink uh, with so many fish. And I love Simon Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw it... This he, was the first he had, in this gospel, first he had met Jesus. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Yeah, he doesn't say, That was really amazing, thank you. He says, Leave me, I am sinful. Uh, So he really saw the difference between himself and the Lord in that moment. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Mm. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. (laughs) It strikes me that Peter's terrified that the catch of fish worked so well. And the Lord says, don't worry, we're going to up the ante hugely. And this will be human (laughs) beings next time, you know, Um, hardly reassuring. Uh, And what happens in verse 11 there? So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Okay, so that's Luke's story. So I thought it was an interesting point about the, the way it changes things for the boat when you have a lot of fish. Um, all right, okay, let's get my graphic out here. Uh, such as it is. I've drawn on the left, for those of you getting the audio, a boat from, from Galilee, sort of simple fishing vessel. It's got a mast in the center. And it has this steering oar, this rudder, on the right side toward the back of the boat. I don't know if I have it in the right spot, but it was somewhere back there. And then they would fish off the left. And so you would steer on the right because that's your strong side. And then you'd fish on the left because that wasn't as important. And you get your strongest person working on the steering, strongest and most knowledgeable, and then other people are just hauling the nets. And what the Lord says is, and I marked the chart with starboard and port, and what the Lord says was move your steering, I believe. Can't prove it. It's not right in the text there. You know, it's just something we've reconstructed. Uh, uh, In 1986, they found for the first time a a full ship, a Galilean ship, the the whole thing, and they carbon dated it to between 100... Uh, B.C. and 76 A.D. or something like it was right from the right time period and everything and this was the type of and there's also a mosaic that survives from that time that shows you that steering or the the rudder you know and it's attached and everything and so the Lord I believe was saying hey put that untie that stick that on the wrong side of the boat quote unquote fish from the other side which feel very unnatural and you'll catch more. So uh, what does this mean? Well, uh, Swedenborg explains this story a couple of times, and it's very interesting what he says. He does believe there's a symbolical meaning to the right and the left side. And uh, one of the things he says is that the left side is doing something from yourself. He says things, a little tricky to understand, but he says there's two different ways for us to function. We can function kind of under our own direction, leading ourselves kind of thing, you know, and that's fishing on the left side of the boat, and you won't catch anything because that, you're, you're not coming from a good place in what you're doing. You have some self-centered, there's some worldly reason for what you're doing, and it just doesn't work. Uh, the other side is to come from love, from charity or kindness, uh, from being of benefit to others. And that's the right side of the boat. And when you do that, you're successful. In another passage, Swedenborg says simply, and this is the way I'd been thinking about it, so I was happy to see this, uh, the left side is secondary. This is the way I'm reading this. And, And Swedenborg says the left side is secondary, the right side is primary. So the way they were doing it, the steering is primary. What you put your most strength into 
is steering. If you have some energy left over, go ahead and fish, knock yourself out. Uh, but the main thing you need to do is steer. That's, that's what you're doing. Uh, and I think what the Lord was saying was make steering secondary. Make the fishing primary. Put your greatest strength, put your right arm into the fishing and just go ahead and use your left arm for, for steering. The steering is not as important. Um, now, I think this is um, sort of a developmental thing. Um, one meaning for this that came to mind was that you actually use your weakness to, to steer, not your strength. Like there's a humility. Isn't it funny when you... Have you ever been to those exercise like inner child workshop or something where they make you write with the wrong hand? It's, it's amazing how you feel sort of childlike because you can't really do it very well. So if you, you put the, the rudder on the, on the other side of the boat, uh, it will have a little bit of that feeling that you're coming from weakness, not strength in what you're doing. But the strength is going into the fishing. So it's about the primary focus. And I think there's something developmental here. Steering is incredibly important. And what do I mean by steering? Let's take some examples. Um, uh, like an easy thing to think about would be, like let's say in a corporate structure, um, steering to my mind would be the management, the running of the business, wouldn't it? You're, steer, you know, you're supposed to, it's your vessel, you're supposed to sail it, you know, you're supposed to steer it. You make a strategic plan, you figure out where you want to go. That's steering. Uh, but is it not the case sometimes, friends? And you have to be able to steer. It's, it's vitally important. And you've got to learn to steer. And I think you have to learn to steer first. But does a time come when the Lord says, okay, you're good enough at steering. You got that down pat. Now you need to make the fishing primary. The fishing is being of benefit. Make the, the five-year strategic plan. Oh, so that's great. And your management, all that stuff. But... If you're not doing the useful thing, uh, you know, you, you, you might be toiling all night and steering your head off, but you're not catching anything. What is the Lord's question? His question is not, how's the steering going? <laughs> he says, do you have any food? That's what he says. Do you have any food? And um, uh so I, I think there's an interesting lesson in there about fishing on the right side, that the idea is that if you focus primary, there are certain things. I want to talk about priorities a little bit. Um, there's one uh, story that Swedenborg, the, the story of the, an experience that Swedenborg had in the spiritual world, where he goes and sees, and these evil spirits are coming to attack a, a group in heaven. And they come, and they send this very wise, skillful sort of rhetorician up to the gates of the city. And he says, you believe in charity? We believe in charity. You believe in faith? We believe in faith. Really, the only difference between you and us is that we think that faith is more important. You think that charity is more important. But why don't we just work together on this thing? And the wise person from heaven says, well, faith and charity are indeed important. And we do see those things as important. But the fact is, they didn't use this analogy, but I would use this analogy of Cain and Abel. If Cain, who means faith, is in charge, 
he tends to kill Abel. It's, but if Abel's in charge, Cain will be fine. Uh, the difference between faith first and charity second and charity first and faith second is the difference between heaven and hell. It might not look like much, but it's the difference between heaven and hell. It's amazing. And I think this is what the Lord's doing in this story is that there's, it's a huge difference what the top priority is. Now, I think it's a developmental thing. You know, we spend a lot of time in our lives figuring out how to steer. Uh, didn't we read that the disciples uh, were fishing and then the Lord said, I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, so obviously something about this act of fishing has to do, and many people have read it this way, with whatever you want to call it, evangelization, outreach, or something, you know, that what, what a church does, this is something that you do, that you, you go out, the boat means teaching, as, as we saw there, and so you go out and cast your net, you're, you're wanting to draw, draw people in. Well, um, uh, if that's your secondary purpose, I think the story is saying it's not going to work terribly well. This is not a kind of activity that you can do as an afterthought. You know, like primary thing is let's manage the organization. And then secondarily, if we get around to it, we, you, know, you know, we'll reach out and, 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 uh, and try to help people or be a benefit or something like that. The, the benefit's got to be number one. Uh, and, and then the steering is secondary. And the steering will kind of take care of itself, I think. In the individual, what would this be? Uh, we have the same kind of thing. It takes us a long time to learn how to steer, how to manage our lives, you know, get some sort of sense, okay, these are my thoughts, these are my feelings, this is what's going on. Uh, but at some point, that needs to start to serve some greater purpose than just, wow, I'm really steering really well, <laughs> you know. Uh, 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 I, I think what the Lord is saying is, okay, if you want to go to the next level, um, let's make it about useful service. Um, an interesting little detail, I don't know if this is right, but the fish, Swedenborg says it has to do with um, earthly truth. The, the fish mean people who have a lot of uh, worldly information in their heads. Again, like last time, they're, they're excellent people, they're good people, living good lives and all that kind of stuff. But I think the image, although, you know, try to set aside in your minds the fact that the fish die and get eaten. Don't think about that right now. But the, the fish get pulled up to a higher level. You know what I mean? It's spiritual. Like take them from an earthly level up to a spiritual level. That's, I think, part of what's involved in the bring them, bring them into the boat. Uh, uh, this is part of what the imagery is, is to, is to help people become, become spiritual, as the Lord did with his disciples. Um, and to, it's not that nobody was steering this situation. The Lord was steering, right? He told them what to do. He was steering. It's just the Lord took over the steering. The, when they were out all night, they were doing it just on their own initiative. But in the morning, the Lord said, try it this way. It sounds upside down. sounds crazy. I'll try it. And, and uh, then the Lord... Um, uh, takes over. Let's read some passages that I think uh, go along with this pretty well. Go to the middle of your Bible, like about the Psalms there, and turn to the right. Let's go to Proverbs. There's a few Proverbs. It's funny that the word steer never occurs 
in, at least in the translations that I was looking at, the, the word never occurs. Uh, but you do get words like directing, and you do get this pilot. It's sort of a fun word. There's just a language geekiness for a second here. Forgive what follows for the sake of filling up a few minutes of Bible study time. But they, <laughs> in the Greek, it's kubernetes. Kubernetes is the Greek for a pilot. And that is cognate with the Latin gubernator. What's a gubernatorial race? That's a governor. Governor. That's what the so a pilot means a governor, a gubernator, kubernetes. Those are all the same word. That's that's just fun to me. So the gubernetes, that's the person who steers, you know. The governor is the person who's who's steering. You know, that that's what that is, and that's what they would call that. Um Look at Proverbs uh, chapter 3. And listen to this language about our, what are we doing? What are we steering? What's the Lord steering? Look at verses uh, 5 and 6 then. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Mm, I like that. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. He will direct your paths. That's what you want. Like, let the Lord steer, you know, so that humility, have it on this side, it's because, hey, that's what the Lord said. So let the Lord do the steering. Don't lean on your own understanding. I think there's sort of an image of fishing on the left side is like your own understanding. That's the way everybody's always done it and all that. Uh, look at seven. It's just irresistible. Look, it's right there. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That's just great. Thought we had to read that. Okay, Proverbs 16. Uh, here's another fun one. Verse 9. This again lays out sort of what's our part, what's the Lord's part? A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Divinate interesting, huh? Isn't, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So we plan our way but the Lord directs our steps. It's about the Lord steering, right? So we, we may make a plan, and I think part of the plan is, hey, let's get fish and feed people. You know, that, that'll be good. Uh, but the Lord does the steering. The Lord directs our steps. Uh, turn to the right and go through Isaiah. You get to Isaiah after a while. Let's go to Jeremiah, which is to the right of Isaiah, chapter 10. Uh, Verse 23, Jeremiah 10:23. O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Listen to that. Is that a steering passage? What, what, look at that. So it's not in ourselves to figure out where, you know, we spend a lot of energy figuring out where am I going, what, what should I be doing? And I think rightfully so to a certain point but it's great to realize that humility that it's not in us what's our job in that passage walk your job is to walk let the lord direct your steps he'll he'll figure out where you're going see what i mean oh it is not a man who walks to direct his okay got it right so you're walking but it's not in you to direct your the, the, the lord does that part i thought that was sort of fun and kind of nuanced there uh, okay, let's wade out, always with some trepidation, 
into the uh, minor prophets. Oh, I think there's an easy way to get here. Let's go to Matthew and then go to the left. You'll go through Malachi and Zechariah. We'll back up to Zechariah chapter 4. This phrase just came to mind. I don't know. It just came to mind thinking about that right arm on the rudder, like you're steering, you know, you're steering that ship. 4 verse 6. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Yes, not by might nor by power. It's not about our own might and our own power. It's by the Lord's spirit, which means his divine truth. And that spirit blows as the wind, you know, you hear it, but you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. Uh, that's the, the, the Lord wants us to lighten up on the rudder a little bit there. You know, get that out of the way so we can do a little more fishing on that right side. And now, drum roll please. Okay, let's go to the book of Revelation at the end. We want to find and pronounce Second Thessalonians. Ah. Okay, so let's go to Revelation. We go back till you hit Hebrews. Keep going back to the left. You go through First and Second Timothy, only not in that order and get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. These two come to mind. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Interesting, run swiftly. In the old King James, it says, may have free course. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. And that says run swiftly in mm -hmm. your... It's interesting that, that uh, it gave me that sense in the old King James that it, it's just allowed to go where it wants to go. You know, the, the, the word is free to go where it wants to go. Keep going. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Uh-huh. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish, establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Yes. Isn't that nice? So that's the directing, you know, the Lord steering. Like direct um, your hearts into the love of God. Like the Lord knows where that mother load of fish, you know, the, the Lord knows where that is. He knows, oh, okay, here's how to get the Lord to direct our hearts into the love of God and that patience of Christ. Okay, some other thoughts that I have about this. Um, um, the Lord, when he was in this world, like one of the things I ask myself when I'm coming up with a heresy like this, and I think, yeah, that's interesting, uh, it doesn't literally say untie the rudder and stick it on the other side or something. Uh, but when I'm looking at something like this, I think, does it square with other things in Scripture? And I think about the story in the four Gospels of Jesus, and it just strikes me again. He did not do a power grab. You know? He didn't sort of go for like, okay, get out of the way, Herod or Pilate, or, you know, I'm going to show you how to steer this ship of state. He just didn't do that. It's somehow by just fishing and fishing and fishing, loving people, teaching, healing, you know, 
just doing the fishing, not the steering. Mm -hmm. He got to the point where he says in Matthew 28, 18, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He gets, he gets the power, but he doesn't get there by a power grab. He gets it by service and service and service, teaching and teaching, teaching, healing, healing him. That's how he gets, that, that's how he gets there. So I don't see him trying, you know, let me, let me steer the, you know, he, he's not sort of taking over society. Um, he's just serving. Another uh, lesson of the story, I think, is for us to be forewarned. Like there's a time, I've certainly been a, a part of organizations, I think it easily happens, where you're focused on the steering. And then there's a little trepidation about the fishing because the fishing is going to upset the equation, right? That extra weight is going to, whoa, throw the whole, oh, the ship's sinking, whoa, got to get out, haul the, you know, it's going to change everything. We sort of understand what's going on. Here's the weight in the boat. Here's the wind. We know what we're doing, you know, kind of thing. But it would th throw it all off if you start to get all these fish, you know, the, the boat starts to sink. It, it's it's, uh, it's going to throw everything. There's literally a loss of control when you do it this way. Not only are you sailing with the left hand, uh, but the fish are in the equation and throwing it, whoa, hey, whoa, you know. It, it's, um, it's just an interesting thought. Uh, and I think that's why we need to go through the developmental stage of steering and getting good at the steering. And then, which I think is about sort of the truth and the mind and all that stuff. But then we need to get the heart going, direct our hearts, you know, uh, let, let the heart take over and, and do that service and love and so on. Um, and uh, I know there's one other thing here in my notes. Um, oh, that's it. In the story where we started in John 21, you don't have to go back there if you don't want, but uh, in that story, wasn't it interesting that uh, Swedenborg points out that it's only once they started fishing that the Lord appeared. When they were hanging out, he wasn't there with them. They didn't see him. Once they started doing the activity, they weren't catching a thing. But that's when the morning came and the Lord is standing on the shore. Now, they don't recognize him yet. But the Lord appears in that first phase. Even though they're still, you know, it's about steering and they're trying the fishing their way and all that kind of stuff. But the Lord appears. They don't recognize him, but he's there. And now he is able to direct their steps. Before that, like what input? So there is a way where we have to go out, just go out and fail. You know, um, <laughs> It's so important. You know, it's a developmental stage. You have to go out and fail. And then maybe you get that humility of being able to listen to a total obnoxious stranger on the shore who tells you how you should be doing your job and tells you to do everything upside down and sideways. But you say... Well, I can't say that I'm hitting it out of the park here myself, so I'll try it your way. And isn't it interesting, too, that Peter has to do with the mind, John has to do with the, with the heart, and with love, you know, good works towards others. John is the one who recognizes the Lord. He says, it's the Lord. Peter just hears it's the Lord, and he jumps out and, and wades into shore. 
but John is the one who recognizes him. The, the disciple who the Lord loves, that's the one who, who figures out that that's the Lord there on the shore giving that great advice. Um, so, have I said what I'm trying to say here this evening? I don't know if this is accurate, but I find it very compelling. This idea that it makes so much more sense to me than the idea that I used to have. Uh, it was just arbitrary, just, well, flip it from the left to the right. Oh, whatever. You know, no, it was a much bigger deal than that. It's going to a side that you never, never used. It's a, doing a thing a whole different way than you ever did it before. That seems like that's what the Lord is so often wanting us to do. And the Lord, after his resurrection, he's led those disciples, you know, taught them and all this kind of stuff. Now we're going to the next level. Like now, that's great. Got that real good. Just flip the whole thing upside down and then you're there. It's great. You got all the pieces. Now just get them in the right order and then you'll be all set. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing thought. And I say all this, I hope you understand, good friends. Uh, um, I really do this Bible study in order to reach out and, and get a message out there and, and, and all that. And I love the sense of closeness with the Lord that it brings to me. Um, but I think the Lord views it a little bit differently in, in, in one aspect alone, which is that he's preaching to me. And I'm in the front row, you know, like <laughs> it's sort of inescapable because I will think about this thing all week and then you just hear about it for an hour. And uh, I, I really need this. Like I spend way too much time steering. You know, I'm just much too much about the steering, you know. And uh, so I just want, you know, I'm not standing up here preaching, you know, let me tell you something wise. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm telling you something I really need to hear. Uh, uh, because uh, it's so important to get those priorities the right way around and just, you know, settle down a little bit about the steering. The Lord can take care of that. I like the fact that we have to be walking, but then the Lord will direct our steps. So, so just, just get moving. Siphon it in. Go out, fish, do your, do your best. But uh, if it's not working, listen for that, that voice that says, try it upside down and, you know, a completely different way. And uh, maybe then we'll, we'll um, get some better results. And it will be to the Lord's credit, not our own. Because in terms of tradition, that's all the wrong way to do it. So in closing, I think first we have to learn to steer. But later, steering needs to become secondary to fishing. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, it sometimes seems like we spend way longer than one night dropping that net and getting nothing. We pray for your help to understand how to make love the primary thing, usefulness, being of benefit to others, not worrying quite so much about whether our boat is facing in exactly the right direction or how we're steering, not putting our greatest strength of our right arm into that, but instead putting our strength into helping others 
loving them, being of service to them, and benefiting from that exchange. Thank you, Lord. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. Maybe we'll get our boat the right way around.